turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Malachi, the last chapter, or the last book of the Old Testament. We'll look at Malachi chapter 1. As you, as you turn there, just a reminder, we're going to have three times to come together over the, the next week. One, of course, is this morning, and then we're going to be able to, to come together on Tuesday evening, our Christmas Eve service, and then also a week from today in our uh, post-Christmas service, so a week, a week from this Sunday morning. And at each of these services, we're going to be looking at, at a question, three questions, one for each service. And this morning, we're going to ask the question, does God love me? And then next service on Tuesday night, we're going to ask the question, do I value love? Do I rightly understand the value of love? And then a week from this morning, we're going to be asking the question, do I love others? But this morning, we're asking the question, does God love me? And we're going to be looking at verse 2 of Malachi chapter 1. So I'm going to read the first five verses together with you. And so if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read these verses together. Beginning in verse 1, Malachi chapter 1, again, focusing especially on the first part of verse 2. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country, and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning that you are our God. You do demonstrate your love for us and that while we are sinners, you, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us. And this morning, we are especially mindful of, of the sending aspect of, of your plan of salvation, the sending of your son to be born, to be fully God, fully man, to live a, a perfect life and then to offer himself as a, a sacrifice for our sins, and then to, to rise from the dead. And this morning, Father, our confidence of, of being able to enjoy a relationship with you this Christmas, our, our confidence is not on the basis of our own works, of our own goodness. Our confidence is on the basis of the goodness of your son, Jesus, and we place our complete confidence in him this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, again, this morning, we're looking at the, the first part of verse 2 of Malachi chapter 1. And in this, this verse, God declares his love. I've loved you, declares the Lord. And then the people respond, well, well how have you loved us? So you could also say, they're, they're asking, do, do you really love me? How, how can I, I know that you love me? Do you really love me? It's an interesting question to ask. And maybe it's a question that you're going to find yourself asking 
over the next few weeks during the Christmas season. Do you, do you really love me? Maybe it's a question you're going to ask of, of family members. Maybe it's a question you're going to ask of, of your parents. You know, you, you didn't get me the Christmas gift that I, I really wanted. You didn't come and, and visit me and your grandkids. You're so hard on me, we might say to our, our parents. Why do you have so many rules? Why do you make me go to my grandparents' house instead of spending the time with my friends that I want to? Why do you hurt me? Why do you allow others to hurt me? Do you really love me? Or maybe it's a question that we might ask of, of our children. Look, uh, why are you kids fighting all the time during this time where I'm just giving you presents? Why, why don't you come and visit me? Why haven't you asked me to forgive you for the, the terrible things you've done to me? Do you really love me? It's a question we might ask of our friends. You know, you, you say you care about me. You say that you, you love me, and yet and yet, you don't show that love in tangible ways. You don't invite me to the Christmas party. You don't, you don't extend love to me and, and care for me. Do you, do you really love me? And, and in fact, it's also a question this time of year that, that some of us might be tempted to ask of God. Look, God, you haven't blessed me in the same way that you've blessed other people. My family is, is not intact like this family over here. There, there's strife within our family that doesn't exist over here. Why haven't you blessed me the way that you've blessed this, this other family? Or th There's this person over here who has a lot more, a lot more things and, 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 and uh, prestige in the workplace, and it just seems like their life is so much better than mine in so many ways why haven't you blessed me in these ways? Do you, do you really love me? Or, or God, you know, right now I'm going through this time of suffering in my health or in this relationship or in terms of financial struggle. God, why would you allow this to happen to me if you're a sovereign God who has control over all things and right now I'm going through this situation? Do, do you, can you really say, God, that, that you love me? And now maybe we would never be so audacious, we would never be so, so brazen to, to say that to God out loud, but, but we think it in our, our hearts. There's no doubt, there's no doubt in my mind that your parents, your children, your friends, your church, none of us have loved you perfectly this year, and none of us will even love you perfectly over this next week or two. But what does it mean when we ask, do you really love me, of God? For those of us who have received eternal life from God by, by the gift of his son, Jesus, what does it mean when we ask the question of God, do you, do you really love me? I think what it means is that we fundamentally don't understand what love is and how God has demonstrated it to us. 
And in this text, there are a people, the people of Israel, who, who don't grasp how God has demonstrated his great love for them. They, they fail to rightly understand the nature of what love is and the nature of God's love for them. And so this, this Christmas week, as we prepare for Christmas, we can meditate on this passage and think about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and rightly grasp the nature of God's love, God's love for the people in this text and the nature of God's love for us, because it's in the person of Christ that we can see and grasp what love truly is. And here's kind of the the big idea that I want you to think about with me this morning. God's love, God's love, as we think about this this Christmas week, God's love is, is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love that relentlessly and graciously points us to himself. There's many things we could say about about God's love. As we think about this passage, what we're going to see is that God's love is is a sacrificial love. And this this sacrificial love that God has for us is a love that is, is constantly, relentlessly, graciously pointing us to the gift of himself. And so let's look at a couple things. We're going to look at how God declares his love. And we're going to look at how people doubt God's love. And then we're going to think about rightly understanding and delighting in God's love. And, and we'll see that as we go on. But here, here's the first thing that I want us to talk about. Let's talk about how God declares his love. And look at the text with me. Now, I have loved you, says the Lord, beginning in verse 2. What does that mean? Well, let, let's, let's remember our, our Old Testament history a little bit. Remember, we have the, the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve's sin. We see that, that mankind continues to devolve and, and to descend into sin. We see that God makes a covenant with Abraham in the book of Genesis. We see Abraham's descendants. We see the, the 12 tribes begin in the book of Genesis. We see them multiply and go into slavery in Egypt in the book of Exodus. And we see God deliver them out of slavery, right, in the book of Exodus. And Right now, we just finished up the book of Joshua, and what happens in the book of Joshua? Well, the people who have been delivered from slavery, who had wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, come into the land that God has promised them, and they, they conquer. That's, that's where we've just ended. It's about 1400 B.C. And then we're going to the second Sunday of the new year, I believe, we're going to begin the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we see this, this time period between the time of Joshua and the establishment of the, the monarchy, the kingship with King Saul. We, we see that, we're going to cover that time period. But then King David comes about 1000 BC, and then King David's son Solomon reigns, and after King Solomon, the kingdom splits into two, right? You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Then in 722 BC, the, the northern kingdom is carried away into exile, the southern kingdom ceases to exist for a time in 586 with the destruction of the temple, okay? Now, after that, God graciously brings his people back from exile to the land that he's promised them. They rebuild the temple. They begin to worship again. And and that's the time period in which the book of Malachi is written, and God is, is saying, look, I've, I've loved you. I've, I've brought you out of exile into this, this place. I've, I've loved you. 
It's, 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 it, the statement here is a statement of his love. It's an absolute declaration. In fact, it could even be translated in the present tense. I, I, I love you is what God is saying. And the people are unable to grasp his love as we're, we're going to see. God is saying, and the word here, love, means to, to bestow on someone in need. It means to have compassion. In other words, love here is, is giving to a person who's in need. And throughout Scripture, God declares his love. Psalm 33, the the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Deuteronomy 7, the Lord loves you. Deuteronomy 10, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers. Isaiah 43, 4, I love you. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. God, here in Malachi, God, throughout Scripture, declares I love you. Now you and I know that just declaring love isn't enough though, right? My, uh, my mom and, uh, and I were going through some of my dad's papers at Thanksgiving. He had left me a lot of his, his lessons and notes, and so I was kind of flipping through some of the, the notes that he left, left me. And I found this uh, this lesson that he had given to some high school students, and it was, it was in his own handwriting. He had been teaching on a Sunday afternoon or a Sunday night and was going to speak to some, some high school kids, and so he, he just kind of jotted down some notes on this, this piece of paper, and it was entitled something like a, an elder's uh, instructions for young people who are thinking about courtship and dating, something like that, and he kind of just jotted down some, some notes of, of kind of nuggets of wisdom, and, and as I, I read through some of his nuggets of wisdom, I was reminded of, of these are things that he had said for the past 30, 40 years. I can remember him saying some of those same principles whenever he taught the high school group that I was a part of. I can remember being a high school student and my dad talking about dating and being very embarrassed. You know, it's just kind of, sometimes it's embarrassing to have your dad talk. I can't imagine what it would be like to have your dad speak to the church every Sunday. That would be terrible, right? Um, but, uh, but I can remember being a little, a little bit embarrassed to have my dad talking to high school students, but also him just having these, these great little nuggets of wisdom. So one of the things that he, he said and kind of had written down was uh, about, just about love. And I think the, kind of his, his application was especially to the young ladies. He said, you know, look, just because a young man declares that he loves you doesn't make it so, Right? In other words, a young man may say, I love you, and yet is going to ask you to do some things or try to pressure you to do some things that, that God would not have you do. Don't fool yourself. That person doesn't love you. And, and we can think of examples from all different areas of life where people say, I love you, I love you, and love you, and, and they really don't, right? But God's words are, are true. The, the, the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 30, every word of God proves true. Whenever God says that he loves us, it, it has the, the, it's, it's the words of someone who's truth itself. And whenever God says, I love you, it's, it's something we can absolutely believe, but we still doubt. Now, why do we doubt? We doubt because here's what God says, I love you, and then here, here are our experiences, and our experiences don't mesh with what we think should happen if there is if it's true that there is an all-sovereign, all-powerful God who loves us, our circumstances, we believe, don't reflect that. In other words, if there were an all-sovereign, all-good God who loved me, we believe our circumstances would look different, and so we doubt God's love. And that's the second thing I want us to talk about. People doubt God's love. Verse 2 again. God says, 
I've loved you. But the people ask this question, how? How have you loved us? In other words, do do you really love us? Now, why would they ask that question? Well, remember, these are the people who have come out of exile. And the worship in the temple has been resumed. But their expectation is that now that they've come out of exile, God would begin to to bless them with the promises that he had promised to Abraham. Their expectation is that they should no longer be experiencing troubles with their crops, and they were. There no longer should be diseases, but, but there were. They should no longer be subject to another ruler, and yet they still were in subjection to another ruler, another foreign power. And so they were wondering, look, our, our experiences don't match what we believe God should be doing. Does he really love us? He says, I've loved you, but you say, do you really? How? What's the proof? Despite God's incredible salvific work in, in loving them and preserving them and caring for them, they say, well, well How? What else have you done? They're like a, a child receiving gift after gift after gift on a Christmas morning, and you know this is going to happen this week. And then at the end of that, saying, well, well what else have you got, right? What, what's the next gift? Oh, that's it? <laughs> With a big pile of presents around them? That's it? That's what the people are doing here. And so you and I doubt God's love. We also have a fundamentally different understanding of what love is and how it should be expressed to me. And our assumption is if if you love me, certain things are going to happen. In fact, here's a couple of assumptions that you and I have about God's love and about love in general that causes us to doubt love. We believe, our assumption is that loving me means giving me what I want, right? Loving me means giving me what I want. I'm I'm a child and I I want more screen time and my parents are an obstacle to that. I'm I'm, I'm in a marriage relationship and there are things that I I want my spouse to do. There are things that I want my wife to do, tasks and and responsibilities that I want her to take and instead I'm having to do them. And I think, boy, if if she really loved me, she she would do the things that I want her to do. Loving me, we we think, means giving me what what I want. Another wrong assumption we have about love, we believe loving me means not judging me. Look, if if you love me, you're not going to have any sort of critique of me. You're not going to argue with what I want to do. You're going to accept my decisions about what's best for me. There's not going to be pushback, right? And again, we see this in in all sorts of areas of life. The author J.K. Rowling, uh, this, this past week, you may have heard about this story. She got into a little bit of trouble, and I, I don't know the whole story. I'm sure more will come out as often as the case in, in stories like these. But uh, she did some sort of tweet where she was uh, defending a woman. And this, this woman had written an email, and apparently she had said in this email, uh, men are men and women are women. Okay? And, and then she lost a, a position in her job. And she was suing and she was saying, look, I, I lost my position because of the statement that I made that, that men are men and, and women are women. And this was in the UK. And the, the court ruled, look, that speech is not protected speech. You know, it's, it's an it's a abusive form of speech and so it's not protected. You can't sue on the basis of, of wanting that speech protected. Why? Because it's a, it's a judgmental abusive speech in the eyes of the court. In other words, you, you can't say 
you, any, any sort of condemnation you have of me, judging of me, is, isn't love. Love is accepting me. Love is not judging me. It's not critiquing me. We believe that loving me means placing no demands on me. If you love me, you're not going to have demands of me. If you're my, my spouse, if you're my coworkers, if you're my friends in church, if you're the church itself, if you really love me, you're not going to place any demands on me. And yet, what do we see in Scripture? We see that, that demands and, and love are, are integral to one another. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we what? That we keep his commandments. John 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus says uh, later in that, uh, in that chapter, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In other words, obedience to the demands that a holy God makes to us are, are integral to love. And not understanding that causes us to not understand God's love. Another wrong assumption we have about God is that love means making me, a wrong understanding we have about love is that love me, loving me means making me happy, not holy. Look, if you love me, we think wrongly. Your concern is going to be about how you can make my life as happy as possible. And yet, what does Scripture tell us? Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The psalmist says in Psalm 141, 5, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. James 5.19 says, my brothers, listen to this, James 5.19, here's love. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Loving me, we wrongly think, means making me happy, not holy. But what does scripture tell us? Look, the pursuit of holiness and helping others pursue holiness is love. Another wrong perception we have, assumption we have about love, is that loving me means a temporary state of affection that can change in the future. We believe that love is, is a temporary emotion. It's a feeling we feel one way, and yet there is no guarantee that we will feel the same way tomorrow. And it's certainly true that people in our lives can love us wrongly. But is this the type of love that God has for us? In fact, some of us this morning may say, okay, well, I, I, I get that God loved me in the past. You know, when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ and he provided the, the, the gift of his son, he provided me the gift of, of faith so I could, uh, I could place my faith in his son Jesus. I, I get that he loved me then, but, but I, I failed him in such significant ways since then. There's no way that God can continue to love me. And yet, what is that? That is a wrong assumption we have about love based upon our human understanding of what that word means instead of what God says about love. And what does God say about love? In Jeremiah 31, as he's describing or beginning to describe the new covenant, the Lord says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. In other words, the love of God is not a, a momentary love that's going to say, okay, for a moment I'm going to be in a relationship with you, but God's love is, a, is an ongoing, continual, relentless love that is going to continue to bring about our salvation. Loving me is not a temporary state of affection that can change in the future. God's love is an everlasting love, 
And finally, a wrong assumption we have about love is that love means protecting me from suffering. If God really loves me, he'll protect me from suffering. But no, no, no. God's word says the Lord disciplines the one he loves in Hebrews 12, 6. He chastises every son whom he receives. Now, with those wrong understandings and those wrong assumptions about what love is, it's no wonder that we sometimes doubt that God loves us. Because, you see, God's love, God's love does place burdens on us, not not burdensome things, but obligations on us. God does call ourselves and others to evaluate our behavior. He does place demands regarding how we pursue holiness. He does ordain suffering for us and all that in the context of love. And so we look at our definition of love and we look at our experiences and we say, okay, one of these things is, is not correct. And I would argue this morning that it's our understanding of what love is, not our experiences that we need to reevaluate. Or rather, we need to reevaluate our experiences in, right, in light of a right understanding of what love is. So let's talk about rightly understanding and delighting in God's love. Two thoughts here. Remember the the main idea that we're thinking about. God's love is a sacrificial love that relentlessly and graciously points us to himself. So, so, So two thoughts here. One, God's love is expressed in his salvation and his sacrifice right? In other words, God doesn't just declare, I love you. He, he acts in accordance with that love, and, and he, he expresses that love in his, in his salvation and in his sacrifice for us. If you go on in Malachi chapter 1, he says, God says, I love you. The people say, well, how have you loved us? And he gives them this example. He says, well, remember Esau. He says, Esau I've loved, Jacob I, I've hated. In other words, Esau was also carried off into captivity. They, they, they're, they're, the Edomites were, were wiped off, and yet God did not graciously bring them back into their, their place where he had, he had promised. Where he didn't have a covenant with them that brought them back to a place that he had promised, but he did bring the Israelites back through his covenant to a place that he had promised them. He says, my, my salvation, my, my delivering you from captivity is a, is, a, is a demonstration of my love. And God, God is going to continue as he goes through these verses and demonstrate how his love for them has been expressed in saving them. He's going to come into Malachi chapter 3 and talk about that as well. And throughout Scripture, we see that God, God shows his love by choosing, by initiating, by providing salvation. Deuteronomy, we, we talked about this before. He says, God loved your fathers, which I already, already quoted that. This is, and he goes on, he says, and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. In other words, he doesn't just say, I love you. He demonstrates it through his, his salvific work. Deuteronomy 10, I, I read this earlier too. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heavens and the heavens of heavens and the earth that is all in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers, but that's not all it says, and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Hosea 11 describes God's love and him calling them. I, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. But notice what God doesn't do in these passages. He doesn't allow them to, to stay in their sin. Just the opposite. He doesn't allow them to experience joy apart from him. 
his choosing them, his demonstrating his love is, is all about calling them to continue in relationship with him. And this is particularly true for us to think about here at Christmas, right? As we rightly understand God's love, we understand that God expresses that love in salvation sacrifice. And it's, it's this, the salvation that the angels declare in Luke chapter 2. It says that the shepherds are watching their, their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this day will be a, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels, with, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased." This is the expression of God's love. That's one thing. Now here's the second thing I want us to think about: God's love, not only. Not only does God's love express itself in salvation and sacrifice, but God's love relentlessly and graciously continues to point us to his, his gift of himself. In other words, God doesn't just say, okay, here's the gift of myself, receive it. He continues to do things in our lives, and this is so important for us to understand. God continues to do things in our life that at times force us to, to contemplate, to meditate, to realize that he is our gift. In other words, God doesn't just say, okay, here's salvation. Ignore it if you want. God says, okay, here's salvation. Here's the gift of myself, and now I'm going to continue to do things in your, your life relentlessly and graciously to help you see who I am and how I am your ultimate treasure. God is not going to allow you to continue to live your life finding pleasure and joy in a gift that's not him. Because, you know why? That would not be loving. God's love doesn't culminate in you and I getting what we want in, in our flesh. If God's love culminated in me getting what I wanted in my flesh, the universe would be seriously messed up. God's love is better than my counterfeit definitions of love. God's love demands that we do not just what we want, but that which will bring us joy, treasuring God's greatest gift, Jesus Christ himself. Does God love me? Does God love me? Yes. His love for me means that he's given me the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And, and this, this Christmas, my prayer would be that each person in here would have received the gift of Jesus Christ. That each person in here would say, okay, I recognize that the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life in my place and died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead, th this gift is a gift that is greater than all gifts I could possibly receive, and I'm placing my my trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, that would be my prayer for each of us here, that we would experience 
the expression, the ultimate expression of love in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And what do we do with that gift? You know, at the beginning of the message, we, we talked about the question, do, does God really love me? And how we could ask that question, many people do. Do my parents really love me? Do my children really love me? Do, do, do my friends really love me? Does my church really love me? God's love is a sacrificial love that relentlessly and graciously points us to his gift in himself. And what does that mean? It means as we receive the gift that God has given us that you and I do not deserve, it means, it means that we express that same type of love to others. So I ask the question, does God really love me? I, I see the answer is yes, and I rightly define what that love is. God, God graciously given of himself for, for, for my good and his glory. And then what does that mean? It means that I begin to express that same type of love to others who don't deserve it. Your parents do not deserve your love this Christmas. Your children do not deserve your love this Christmas. Your, your friends do not deserve your love this Christmas on the basis of themselves. But we do not deserve the love that we have received either. And so by God's grace, we ask ourselves the question, does God really love me? We say yes, and that love enables us to express God's love to others, to treasure and find joy not in others worshiping and loving us, but in God himself, finding our joy in him. God's love is a sacrificial love that relentlessly and graciously points us to the gift of himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. This morning we rest ourselves not in our own works, but in, in, the, in the work of your son Jesus, trusting in him and in him alone for eternal life. And we pray this in his name. Amen.